this is the final Sunday this summer that we hear from this all-important sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. We heard it's be a total of four this summer. We were uh, we celebrated the Feast of the Assumption last week, which interrupted that normal five Sundays of John six. As we have discussed previously, John six is uniquely important because in this chapter, Jesus lays out to originally a vast crowd of people some of the main truths of who he is, what he offers the world, and all through this is emphasized the freedom of people to respond to Jesus. Remember at the beginning of John 6, Jesus is speaking to thousands of people who have experienced his multiplying miraculously a couple of loaves of bread, a couple of dried fish to feed tens of thousands of people. Everybody likes a free meal. All these people are attracted to Jesus. But interestingly, as he lays out to them more and more of who he is, more and more of what he offers, which is much, much more than the miraculous food, people turn away from him. They start murmuring, they start quarreling, and by the end of the passage, there's only a few pe- there are only a few people who stick with Jesus. So this is interesting about a crowd of people 2,000 years ago, but it's entirely important for you and me today. It's the same Jesus who works through the Holy Spirit 24-7 on this planet from that point until the end of earthly time. What he offers in John 6, he offers us. Once we're blessed enough to hear what Jesus offers, we have to respond one way or the other. So I invite you this week to re-enter John 6. You might read the whole chapter over again slowly this week. Take it as Jesus speaking directly to you, because he is and consider how you respond. So to recap some of the big things, Jesus says in John 6 that he only has seen God the Father. Let me interject. Everything he says here is either absolutely true or absolutely false. There's no middle ground. If I come in here today and I tell you that I alone have seen God the Father, that is either completely true or completely false. It's completely false in my case. Jesus says that he has been sent from heaven by God the Father to bring life to this world, God's life, eternal life, eternal love. Jesus says that he is the bread that comes down from heaven. He says your ancestors, also our ancestors, the Jewish people, they ate manna in the desert, the miraculous bread that God sends to feed 13 centuries before Christ to feed his people in the desert. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert and they died. That was temporary physical nourishment. I, Jesus says, am the bread of life. Whoever eats this bread will never die. And he says what it means to eat him, the bread of life. Two meanings. One is to believe in him, which means to accept him as savior, to listen to him, to learn from him, and to actually do what he teaches us to do. You eat me by believing in me, Jesus says. And the second one is about the future. He says, the bread I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. In the passage that we missed out last week in John 6, Jesus emphasizes to the crowd, my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink, true food, true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will never die 
and I will raise him on the last day. I presume that means if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, if you actually believe in me, you'll never die spiritually on this planet. And when you do die physically, I will raise you to eternal life. And when I come to judge the living and the dead, I will raise you spiritually and physically to eternal life. All right, so Jesus lays all of this out. If this were a made-up story, I believe John would say, the crowd listens to Jesus. Somehow the truth sinks in. They feel the presence of God. They know God has been working through him in the miracles. And they say, yes, you are God's holy one. I think if this were a made-up story, the disciples, the people who have already been following Jesus, would say something like, it's starting to really make sense. The crowd is really growing. We've been in this from the beginning. We are on the path to salvation. This is not a made-up story. John 6 is obviously not a literal history. There wasn't someone sitting there taking dictation as Jesus spoke. John 6 is written about 60 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's divinely inspired. It includes a lot of theological reflection, but it is true. This really happened. So interesting what really happens in that passage. The crowd, as I said, starts murmuring against Jesus. They start quarreling among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat and his blood to drink? It sounds like cannibalism. If I came in here today and said, I'm going to give you my flesh to eat and my blood to drink, I hope you would get out of here as fast as possible because that's bizarre. It sounds like a cult. So it's good that they're murmuring. It's good that they're quarreling, but they're also backing away from Jesus. It says in the passage that Jesus' disciples, so people, not just the general crowd, people who have been following him, say, this saying is hard. Absolutely correct. I'm going to eat my flesh to eat, my blood to drink. That is hard to grasp. That is hard to understand. That is hard to get your head around. Who can accept this? Absolutely correct question. Who can accept what he's saying? But what happens is they find it too hard. And John says many of his disciples no longer accompany him when they hear all of this. Many, not just a few. They return to their former ways of life. They get all this truth revealed, too hard for them. They leave Jesus. There's more to the story. Jesus then speaks to the 12, the 12 people he has called to be critical leaders in his church, his assembly. And he says to the 12, do you also want to leave? Very good question. They're totally free. Peter, the head of the 12, speaks apparently for them. He says not, hey, this is great, don't worry about it, I'm with you. He says not, I understand all this, I know people are leaving. He says not, yeah, 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 I'm filled with joy. He says, master, to whom should we go? We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. You have the words of everlasting life. That is really profound. Master, he professes that Jesus has become his master. We have come to believe. We are accepting you and we're trying to follow you. You have the words of eternal life. What you're saying is true. And we're convinced you're the Holy One of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah. Those 12 in the whole crowd, I mean, they must feel so much disappointment that their fellow disciples have left. I imagine they may have a lot of fear about what are we doing? 
but Peter professes the fundamental yes to what Jesus has laid out. There's no way he can understand all this. He can't understand the Eucharist. The Last Supper hasn't taken place. Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. There's so many questions he has, but fundamentally, he professes faith in Jesus. So I invite you to repeat, to re-enter this this week, to hear what Jesus claims, and to honestly respond to him in your reflection and your prayer. I bet there is a lot of good news here. I bet that most or all of us actually respond the way Peter does. In this world, in any generation, there are occasionally people who hear this teaching of Jesus and they back away because this teaching about what we understand as the Eucharist is too much for them. But it's much more often that someone hears Jesus' teaching about mandatory forgiveness and says, this is too hard for me, I can't accept this, about merciful love for everybody, that's too hard for me, I can't accept it, about serving people in the greatest need, about sharing the message of Jesus with everyone, about sexuality, about marriage, about social justice, about our obligations to love the people we can't stand, it's more things like that, that people really get this teaching. They've been following Jesus for a while, but then that's too hard for me. I can't accept that. All of us experience that, in, or almost all of us, in our families, among our friends, in this society. It's very challenging. It can be painful. It can be disappointing. But fundamentally, the questions in John 6 are about you and me. They're not about other people's behavior. They're not about societal trends. They're about you and me. So I really push you to enter in this week to repeat. I think there's a lot of good news. Final note from John, not from me. John goes out of his way in that passage to recognize that among the 12 is Judas, the betrayer of Jesus. So Peter is apparently speaking for the 12. No one knows where Judas is at this point, but ultimately, Judas betrays Jesus. He sells him off to his enemies to have the most torturous death. Judas is a hypocrite, ultimately. Judas is a profoundly evil man. If after the resurrection of Jesus, you said to those first disciples, hey, wait about, Judas was in there. What about that? I presume that they would say, yes, Judas was a hypocrite. Judas was a complete sinner. But this church, this assembly, was not the church of Judas. It wasn't the church of Peter. It was the church of Jesus Christ. Judas ultimately goes his own way. Judas is replaced, and the church moves on. The reason I'm mentioning this is all of us have been affected by Judases. All of us live in a generation in which we know church leaders who professed discipleship of Jesus have turned out to be Judases. Most of us in our families have had people who profess to be disciples of Jesus who turn out not to live that way at all. Many of us in this community have been deeply hurt by people who profess to be Catholic. They're Judases. Many of us have experienced that just in this community. People who have been among us who have said, I'm a disciple of Jesus, who have done horrific things. They're Judases. So when you consider what Jesus says in John 6, be realistic. It's been realistic from the beginning. Judas was there. Judas was part of it. 
not the church of Judas, the church of Jesus Christ. Are you also going, do you also want to leave? I don't. I believe he's my master. I believe he has the words of eternal life. I am convinced that he is the holy one of God, and that is beautiful. 